it is great to be reminded um, from the song that we have just sung, that the Jesus who loved us so much that he would give his life for us to rescue us, with that same love, he cares for us. He governs over us. He is interested to know what is going on in us and with us. Uh, Father, uh, as we look at this, at this morning's passage, we are reminded of the Father's immense love for us and care for us in providing such a king uh, for us. So the theme of uh, this morning's message is the better king. And uh, we will look at the story of uh, two kings in the, lives, in the life of the people of Israel, uh, King Saul and uh, the future promised King David. We're going to see how their interaction, their, their circumstances, the events that took place in their lives uh, are a foreshadowing of the truly better king uh, that God has provided for his people. I encourage you to open God's word this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. I'll be reading from chapter 24, verse 1, uh, to the end of the chapter, verse 22. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 to 22. And uh, as I uh, begin reading this passage, I just want to emphasize it's so good to see uh, the Beeman family here with us. Marilyn and Paul, we missed you. It's wonderful to have you with us. Welcome back. Uh, and it's wonderful to continue to see members starting to, to gather back to the gathering of God's people. God's word this morning 1 Samuel chapter 24. Here's the word of the Lord. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me, to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand out against my Lord, 
for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After dead dog? After flea? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you surely shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless our hearts as we hear and the preaching as I preach it? Let's pray. Father, we do need your spirit to hear your word. So we pray that you would give it to us. And Father, I need your spirit to proclaim your word. So I pray that you give it to me this morning. In the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. The story of King Saul chasing after David takes a significant shift in this chapter. For the last several chapters in the book, Saul has been chasing and doing the best he could, diligently trying to find out and soliciting help from others and getting help from others to find David. To find where he was. In the previous chapter, Saul was even convinced that in one of the incidents of last chapter, the Lord had given David into Saul's hand. Remember that? And, and, and that turned out to be a short hope because David... Uh, was able to escape. Uh, despite all Saul's efforts, God would not give David into Saul's hands. 
And in today's text, the Lord does more than just protect David from Saul and Saul's hands. In this chapter, God makes Saul publicly declare that David is the better king. The better man who will be king. And this chapter shows us why David is the better king. Uh, this chapter has one primary action scene, followed by two speeches. A speech by David to Saul, and then a response from Saul to David. Uh, the action scene and the two speeches uh, will reveal for us the three points of the message today. Uh, if you like taking notes, uh, the three parts of this chapter are an unexpected reversal from God, an unexpected reversal from God. Point two, a trusting response from David, a trusting response from David. And point three, a public declaration from Saul, public declaration from Saul. Let's look at how the, the shift in, in the search that, that Saul engages in, how this search shifts significantly here in the story. An unexpected reversal from God. Saul has been searching hard for David since chapter 20. And now, King Saul finally finds David. But this meeting between these two characters... Saul chasing frantically after David. This meeting between these two characters is radically different than anything that Saul had hoped in how to encounter David. The events of, of the action in, in verses 1 through 7 show clearly this amazing reversal. When Saul finds out where David escaped... He picks up again the search against him. He takes 3,000 men on this exposition. 3,000 soldiers from Israel's army to go and search after David. Now, it so happened that at one point during the expedition, uh, Saul needed to go to the restroom. So he chose up to go uh, on his own into a nearby cave for privacy. It's unclear if he took a nap after that restroom break, or if he dropped his robe in one spot of the cave and went to another to relieve himself, it's unclear what the details were. The author doesn't tell us the details. What he tells us is that the cave that Saul happened to go into happened to be the cave that David with his men were also hiding into. And apparently, it must have been a large enough cave where several hundred of, Paul, of, of Saul's army could hide in the, in the, in the bottom of the cave and, and still not make noise or not, not make it clear that someone else was in the cave. Now, if you've ever been uh, at the Mammoth Cave up in, in North in Ohio, I think it is, uh, Kentucky. It's Kentucky. 
Um, you, you learn, you've learned that that system of caves is incredibly large, hundreds of miles. So, so it's, it's possible for us to imagine a, a large enough cave where David would hide with his men, and it just so happened that Saul would choose that cave uh, to be the one where he would go uh, to relieve himself. In this cave... The Lord shows David incredible favor. Somehow, David was able to get near to Saul and his robe without Saul being aware of it. And three times in this chapter, the event of Saul entering the cave is interpreted and declared as the Lord giving David's enemy into David's hands. Look at verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. A few verses later, David, when he speaks to Saul, he says in verse 10, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand in the cave. Then a few verses later, Saul, even Saul, comes to recognize in verse 18, he says, you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. Now, what's interesting about this detail that the Lord put Saul into David's hands is that in chapter 23, Saul thought that the Lord had put David into Saul's hands at Keilah. Remember the, key, the situation at Keilah? And that never happened. Saul, David escaped. In this chapter, we see that it is not David who falls into Saul's hands, but Saul falls into David's hands. Three times the author brings this up. What a shocking moment for Saul to realize that the Lord had put Saul into David's hands. What a reversal. What a reversal of expectations. This is not how Saul expected to find David. Saul expected to trap David, to catch David. And the moment when Saul finally eyes David, he realizes that he has fallen into David's trap, to David's hands. The theme of God's reversal is huge in this chapter. The theme of God's reversal is actually huge in this book. Do you remember Hannah's prayer at the beginning of the book? Chapter 2, Hannah engages in this amazingly insightful, God-inspired prayer. And a big theme of her prayer is that God reverses the tables. This is some of the verses. Chapter 2, verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Then a few verses later, Hannah's prayer is not only that God is a God of reversals, Hannah also taught in the prophetic prayer that not by might shall a man prevail. Here's a king who is in human power, Saul, Here's 
the king with plenty of human resources, 3,000 men with him to catch David. Yet it is Saul who falls in the hands of David. And let me ask you, how does David prevail in this chapter against Saul? It is not by might. It is not by force. It is not by exerting human power. No force was used in this chapter. Yet the aggressive, confident, and well-supplied king Saul ends up weeping in front of David, in front of the man he was searching for to persecute. How did that reversal happen? Simply because the Lord is able to bring down the bows of the mighty and give strength to the feeble. And he does it not by might. What did David do to bring about this reversal? Nothing. David was not searching for Saul. David kept hiding from Saul. Actually, it's not entirely correct to say that David did nothing. He did something. Something very important. Which in the eyes of many might look like nothing. But in the eyes of God was anything but nothing. What did David do in this search? He was crying out to God. He was praying to God. He wrote Psalm 57 in this moment. The events of what happened in this situation sparked David to seek out the Lord, to seek his help. Read Psalm 57 in entirety when you get home. There we see how David, in this journey of being persecuted. He was lifting his eyes to the Lord. He was trusting in God for salvation. The God of the Bible, the God that David was seeking, is a God of reversals. That's what David was doing. Friends, do you trust the Lord as the Lord or as the God of reversals? This chapter proves to us that God is able to bring about such reversals without relying on human power or on human advantages, on human resources. This means that if we seek Him above all else, His presence with us is a much greater asset than any human army, any human power or strength that we can build for ourselves. It also means that if we have our eyes on Him, no level of hopelessness, no level of despair is too difficult for the Lord to overcome for his people. David was in a cave with a one-way exit. And Saul was at that exit. And behind Saul somewhere was an army of 3,000 soldiers. 
from David's perspective, from an outside perspective, this seemed a hopeless situation. And yet, when David lifts up his eyes to the Lord from the bottom of that cave, he's asking God to intervene for him. Friends, I don't know what reversals you are hoping God would do for you. But it is possible that the most important step for you is not to have your eyes set even on the reversal itself, but merely on the God who's able to bring the reversal. For many of us, when we are in hopeless situations, it's easy for our minds to get so locked up into thinking about the reversal, into thinking about how, we're, how this thing ought to change or could change or need to change. But what David is teaching us is actually not even to have your eyes on the reversal itself, but to have your eyes on the Lord. And be content to trust that he is the Lord of reversals. Whatever way he will end up working, whatever means he will choose to do, perhaps the reversal that we need to experience today is simply to, to turn our attention away from the hoped reversal to the Lord of the reversal and leave it there. Turn your focus on the Lord a great reversal from the Lord. Point number two, a trusting response from David. A trusting response from David. We see this especially in verses 8 through 15. Uh, David's response is clearly seen in the speech that he gives to Saul. But before he spoke to Saul and explained to him why he did what he did, let's see how David's actions unfolded. In verse 4, David's men counseled him to do so, uh, to do to Saul uh, what his heart desires, since the Lord gave Saul into David's hands. Now, by that, what David's men meant is to encourage David to kill Saul. We see that clearly later in this chapter. As David approached Saul, he chose to cut a corner of Saul's robe. Now, this is definitely a more gracious act than killing Saul. But notice that after David cut a corner of Saul's robe, his heart struck him. Verse 5. Why? And by the way, that's a phrase to say, like, his conscience stopped him. His conscience, conscience bothered him, even at tearing uh, the, the robe of Saul. The tearing of Saul's royal robe has a significant, uh, a symbolic significance. As someone put it, Saul's most obvious symbol of kingship was made unwearable. In essence, David had symbolically invalidated Saul's claim to kingship. Uh, robes, especially royal robes, had significance. By the way, this is not the first time in the book of 1 Samuel that a robe is torn apart. Remember the first time someone has torn a robe? It was King Saul tearing 
Samuel's robe in chapter, 11, in chapter 15. There, the tearing of the robe was a visible sign that God was tearing apart the kingdom from Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And now David's tearing Saul's robe, at least in the, in the mind of the, of the author, is perhaps pointing us back. There is a tearing, a, a ripping apart of the kingdom here. Yes, it was gracious for David not to kill Saul and just take his robe or part of his robe. But something more is going on here. David realizes that he is tempted to take the kingdom away from Saul. He had the chance not only to cut off Saul's robe, but to kill Saul as well. But his conscience stopped him even in the, in the process of, of tearing the robe apart. He came to realize that he cannot and should not tear the kingdom away from Saul. So David not only stops in his tracks to take the kingdom from Saul, but he goes out of his way to stop his men from trying to take the kingdom from Saul with violence. This is what we read in verses 6 and 7. David not only persuaded his men not to attack Saul, but David did not permit them to attack Saul. The Hebrew term for persuading is a word that can also be translated tearing apart. David had to tear apart his men so that his men could not harm Saul. What this means is that David was so determined not only to stop himself from executing Saul but to stop the men he was leading so that they would not execute uh, Saul. And when Saul leaves from the cave, David followed Saul out of the cave and spoke to him. And David's speech to Saul emphasizes what was going on in his heart as he was moving from the place of being tempted to snatch the kingdom from Saul to the moment of being clearly determined to say, I will not raise my hand against you. David tells Saul that he acted against the advice of his people who pressured him to kill Saul. David said, but I spared your life. And David's reason is, for you are the Lord's anointed. This reason is mentioned twice in this chapter. Why is Saul's anointing, you might wonder, why is Saul's anointing by God a deterrent for David not to raise up his hand against, David, against Saul. Well, in the Old Testament, the anointing from God meant that the king or the priest, both the priest or the king would be anointed by God in a special way, that, the, that, that those people were set apart for God's purposes. And God had a purpose for Saul. And even when Saul rejected God's word and forfeited the kingdom... It was not job, David's job to speed up God's timeline to bring Saul down. And this is a great temptation for each of us. To take what God promised and try to get it in our own timing. And to execute it in our own fleshly or impatient ways. David realizes that it is not he who put Saul up on the throne. God put him up there. And therefore, it is God's job to take him down in his way, in his timing. 
David was responsible to wait for God to give him the kingdom, not to take the kingdom. There's a big difference. So in his speech to Saul, David repeats twice that he will not raise up his hand against Saul. Instead, look at what David commits to do. He appeals to the Lord to be the judge. The first thing he does instead of of snatching the kingdom from Saul, being the opportunist to, to, to find this crisis and say, ah, this is the moment when the Lord is giving me my enemy into my hands. Now I can snatch the throne. David says, yeah, the Lord may give me my enemy into my hands, but that does not mean that he has given me the right or the responsibility to snatch the throne. Instead, the, David says, I appeal to the Lord as the judge. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not go against you. Saul must understand that if he's coming down from the throne, it is not because David brings him down. And that's important. Saul must realize that if he will be brought down from the throne, it is not because David brings him down, but because God will. This is a way of saying, Saul, the problem between you and I is not me. Saul, the problem between you and I must be dealt with by the Lord. And David not only makes room for God's judgment here, but also for God's vengeance. Did you notice that? Even though David had the clear opportunity to to take revenge against Saul, Saul is trusting God both with a judgment but also with a vengeance. How did Saul, how did David do that? Uh, How did he know to leave the vengeance with God? Well, the Lord had spoken in his law in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 35, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand. It would have been easy for David to say, This is the day of Saul's calamity. Yet the Lord said, Vengeance is mine. And David did not snatch from God the responsibility to take vengeance. David did not snatch the kingdom from Saul's hand. David also did not snatch the responsibility for revenge from the Lord. In verse 13, David appeals to an ancient saying, out of the wicked comes wickedness. This was David's way of saying that taking revenge in his own hands would have been wicked. And he will not take that path with Saul. That day in the cave, David trusted that God knows better how and when to avenge against Saul. And verse 14, David asks Saul two interesting rhetorical questions. And these questions help us understand what, Saul, what David is saying to Saul in his answer. Notice verse 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After dead dog, after flea, 
What is David saying through these questions and images? He's helping Saul realize that all that his efforts have done so far, including the deployment of 3,000 soldiers of Israel's army to, point, to search out for David, is pointless and a waste of resources and of time. And to drive the point home, David compares Saul's expedition as if it is an expedition after a dead dog or after a flea. Why a dead dog and why a flea? A dead dog doesn't bite. A dead dog is no longer a threat. This is a way of saying, Saul, the one you must fear is not me. I'm not your threat. I'm like a dead dog. And then the second picture, I'm like a flea. A flea is small. A flea is insignificant. It's a way of saying, Saul, you get all worked up because of me. You think too highly of me. And that's what you're afraid of me. You're thinking that I am your threat. I'm like a dead dog. I'm like a flea. The one you need to fear, the one you need to search out, is the Lord. One of my favorite books is a book entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. It's a book that exposes the various forms of how we think too highly of people and too lowly of the Lord. It's a book that deals with the problem of the fear of man. And here David is challenging Saul to view him, David, smaller, as unthreatening as a dead dog and as insignificant as a flea. That is what David is like in comparison with a grandeur of God. And the one Saul must be searching for is not David, but the Lord. That's exactly how David closes his speech in verse 15. David concludes his words to Saul with reorienting Saul's attention to God's responsibility in this tension between Saul and David. Look at verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between you and me and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David refuses to take revenge because he trusts God to be the judge. He trusts God to give the sentence. He, got, he trusts God to see his situation. He trusts God to plead his cause. He trusts God to deliver David from Saul's hands. Five characteristics of what David says about God in this verse. Friends, when others harm you or hurt you, are you a person who uses revenge to get back at people. The reason why we tend to take revenge at people is because we actually fear people more than we fear God. We think they are bigger and we need to deal with them than God would be bigger. David gives us strategies how we can resist an attitude of revenge. In this verse, verse 15, five strategies 
remember that God is fully able to judge rightly the situation. Trust in God's ability to judge rightly. That's one step to fight against a tendency to take revenge. Second strategy, remember that God is fully able to give the correct sentence in the situation. God is able to give the correct sentence in the situation. A third, a third strategy, remember that God is able to see all the details of the situation. Both what your enemies have done and also what you are doing. God is able to see it all. It is easy for us to quickly assume that God is only looking at what the other person is doing. God, have you seen his wrong? Remember that God is not partial. He looks at both parties. He looks not only at the wrong done to you, he, cannot, he also looks at the wrong that you are tempted to respond with as well. So David remembers that God is able to see it all. A fourth strategy to fight against revenge. Remember that God is fully able to plead your cause. He will not forget it. He will not dismiss it. The Lord is able to plead your cause. And finally, the Lord is able to deliver you from your crisis. The Lord is able to deliver you from your crisis. Now, David appeals to the Lord uh, to be the one he trusts in each of these provisions as judge, as giving sentence, as seeing it all, as pleading his cause, as delivering. But when David says this, he's not simply saying it for his own sake. He's also saying it, I think, for Saul's sake. You see, Saul has lost sight of God. Saul has been searching for the wrong person. Instead of searching for the Lord and trying to understand what is the Lord trying to do in all this mess, Saul was searching for people instead of searching for God. And friends, so often we too, when we get off our attention from the Lord, we search for people instead of searching for God. We find that the solution and the issue is with people instead of realizing the Lord may be wanting to do something here with me. As, we, as you consider these five strategies in verse 15 of how to deal with, with revenge, how to help us not give into revenge, I wonder which of these truths about God is harder for you to embrace. Let me tell you the one that's harder for me. It's the one that tells me to remember that God is able to plead my cause. Somehow, it's, I know the Lord sees it all. I know he's a judge. I know he can revenge. But what if the Lord just won't plead my cause the way I would want it to be pleaded for? And I feel like I need to get behind there and sort of give God a little help and plead my cause. And part of the revenge, my dear friends, or fighting the temptation to revenge is to say, Lord, I believe you in all of these five abilities, including, at least this is the way I'm talking to me, this is the way I'm talking about soul, including the ability to plead my cause. Friends, I wonder which one of these five is harder for your soul to trust in the Lord for. 
as we looked at an unexpected reversal from God, we saw a trusting response from David. And we saw how David moved from, the, from being tempted to snatch the kingdom from Saul in this moment of opportunistic provision from the Lord. He was tempted to, to, to snatch a kingdom, but David ended to the place of, of giving up not only the, the temptation to snatch the kingdom, but also giving up the temptation to snatch the revenge from God's hands. What a trusting response from David. And all this leads us to the final point, a public declaration from Saul. We see the final point, a public declaration from Saul, verses 16 to 22. This is the first time Saul speaks directly to David since Saul started pursuing David. These men have not met each other since chapter 18. They have not spoken to each other. And now, Saul finally gets to address David. But before he speaks, the author tells us not only what he says, but the author tells us Saul's demeanor. Verse 17, And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. David's words and actions have moved the angry and aggressive Saul to the place of weeping. And notice the three declarations that Saul gives about David at this moment. First, Saul declares that David is a more righteous man. Look at verse 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. Why is this statement significant? In the story of 1 Samuel, when the prophet Samuel told the king, Saul, that God is removing the kingdom away from him and is going to give the kingdom to someone else, Samuel told Saul, God is raising someone else who is better than you. And here's Saul is finally brought to the moment of recognizing, having the evidence, this man, David, is indeed better than I. What makes David to be the better king? What makes David appear in the eyes of Saul to be the better man? What is it? Saul says that David has paid evil with good. The reason and the, the evidence that brings Saul to acknowledge that David is the better king is the fact that David repaid evil with good. Throughout the story, Saul has been the king who has repaid good with evil. Remember the story at Nob, the priests at Nob? Saul has acted wickedly against them simply because he suspected that the priests were siding with David. At Keilah, Saul wanted to destroy the city on account of David. Throughout this book, even though David has done nothing wrong against Saul, 
Saul continued to pursue David and seek him harm. Saul has been the king who has repaid good with evil. And yet now David is seen here repaying evil with good. The reason why David is a better king is because he repaid evil with good. A second declaration that Saul makes about David is not only that he is more righteous than David, than, than Saul. David is more righteous than Saul, but also Saul finally declares publicly that David will be the next king. Look at verse 20. And now behold, I know that you surely shall be the king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. What a moment of declaration. Saul, who has up to now rejected and, and tried everything in his power to stop David from the, from the path to his kingship, Saul now comes to capitulate and recognize that indeed this man David is going to be the next king and God will establish the kingdom in David's hands. And then finally, there's a third declaration. If all this was not wow, there's a third moment, a third, third declaration. Saul seeks David's future protection. Look at verse 21. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. What a reversal again. The one who has been persecuting David comes to the moment when he is asking for the future protection of David. What a reversal. And what does David do? You know, he could have said, uh, Saul, you know, let's, let's not talk about that right now. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Can we not talk about it? David could have dodged the question. But that's not all he does. David provides in this chapter safety, protection, promise of protection of Saul's name and posterity. In all this narrative, we see why David truly proves to be the better king. He repays evil with good. And even to his enemy who was persuaded, persecuting him and pursuing him, David is promising protection in the future. In all this narrative, we see David foreshadowing the profile of, a, of another king, of a much better king, King Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he, poured, he prayed a prayer of petition to God. He asked God for something, just like we ask God for petitions. Jesus asked God for petitions. But what is the one petition the Lord Jesus asked God to do while Jesus was hanging on the cross? The one petition, the one request Jesus asked God for is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Friends, the gospel is a good news that King Jesus is repaying us with good. 
instead of the rebellion that we have caused him. The gospel is a good news that even though we have turned our backs against God and his anointed, even though we have been trying to live our own lives in our own agenda, establishing our own kingship and protecting our own rule, not being willing to give up the right to our throne, despite all those efforts, God sent us another anointed king who would repay for all our rebellion with good instead of evil. And the greatest dimension and the greatest evidence of that good is that Jesus, while on the cross, would pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Oh, friends, Jesus is the ultimate Davidic king who offered us his life in place of our rebellion so that if we turn to him, we have confidence that he will receive us. Jesus is the ultimate better king that God's people need. David is a foreshadowing of what God aimed to do centuries later. If God's better king repays evil with good, it does not mean that God will let evil and rebellion go on forever. The gospel does not say that God will never punish wickedness. It says that God is not punishing wickedness now because he's inviting now all those who hear the gospel to turn to Jesus so that they would be spared from the future and eternal vengeance and wrath of God against all wickedness and against all rebellion. So friends, don't delay responding to God's kindness and grace now. Don't delay responding to the love of Jesus, the deep, deep love of Jesus now. If you want to respond to him, I encourage you to to pray to the Lord right now as you are hearing these words. Ask God to receive you. Ask God to save you. And if you'd like to know more about what that means, we would love to talk to you uh, after the service is dismissed. We'd love to talk to you this week to to sit down and hear what, what the Lord is doing in your heart, calling you to turn to him. The pastors of the church or the members of the church would love to talk to you. But know that just because God is not repaying evil with evil now, just because God is repaying evil with good now, does not mean that there will be no ultimate final vengeance and wrath of God. The the gospel is clear. We need Jesus to save us from the coming wrath of God. Because we know that God will ultimately punish all wickedness and evil, all rebellion, we must turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. But also for those of us who have repented and trusted in Christ, because we know that God will ultimately punish wickedness and evil, all rebellion, because we know that we can also leave our vengeance with God. God's vengeance and wrath is greater than ours. He knows everything. He sees everything. He will judge everything. He will give sentence on everything. And finally, he will deliver his people from everything. Trust in God's ability to make all things right. Do not snatch 
for you, for yourself, the responsibility to vengeance. Leave that with the Lord. Because God is a God of reversals. We can trust Him with a need for vengeance. Because He's a God of reversals, we must turn to Him. If we continue to oppose Him in our pride, in our self-promoting, in our self-centered ways, remember God is a God of reversals. He will reverse against us if we continue in our pride. God knows how to bring the mighty down. God's work in Saul's life in this chapter is not over yet. There's still more chapters to this book. But in this moment, God reminds Saul and gives him an incredible lesson that the God of reversals is truly at work. And this is a, this is a dress rehearsal for Saul. Saul, seek not David, seek me. May we, may we be like David, who in the midst of his troubles seeks not to get after Saul, but seeks the Lord. We must turn to him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being the God who knows all things, sees all things, judges all things, gives sentence on all things, delivers all your people. Help us to trust you. Help us to turn to you. Help us to leave our grievances and our vengeances, our desires for vengeance with you. Father, help us to trust that you will do it right in your way, in your timing. You are our better king. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. <laughs>